It's Sports Bizarre. Get into it. Some of these stories you would say, that cannot be true. I'm fine to us. <laughs> the hunt for the weirdest. This is madness. It's a masterclass in how not to do things. The most airbrained scheme <laughs> I've ever heard. Strangest. Oh, wow. You can't make this up. Things are only going to get more bonkers. <laughs> most unbelievable. The most genius thing I've ever heard. You say evil. I say brilliant. Stories to ever occur. An unparalleled array of deadbeats. <laughs> a mecca for colourful characters. In the world of sport. Had a taste for testicle soup. Can I just stop you for a second? Don't act like you've never done this. Sports Bizarre. Opened his mouth and a sparrow flew out. <laughs> Slept face down with a compass to make sure that his head was pointing north. <laughs> he had so many sixes into the members that they retrieved him to the bar. I'd better lie down after that. It's time for the leaders of the hunt. It's 10 cent beer night at the ballpark. <laughs> it's Titus O'Reilly and Mick Malloy. Welcome, everybody, to the latest episode of Sports Bazaar. And I'll bet you've been counting down the days, the hours, till we boot this story home. Hi, I'm Mick Malloy, and, of course, Titus O'Reilly, who has dropped us right in the middle of the fine cotton affair, scandal, whatever you want to call it. And where you took us to was the brink of the disaster itself. Yes. Uh, and this is on the eve and then they've woken up, found they've got a horse that looks like a big tomato. <laughs> it's bright red. It's bright red. And we're hours away from racing in uh, what could be the biggest sting in Australian racing history. It's race day. They got the race later that day at Eagle Farm. They're in Brisbane. Yeah. They've dyed the horse with human hair. Dyed the horse the has been before. stressed out the day before. Yeah, it's been terrible. dyed. They've had a big night on the source. They've wandered out in the morning and it's fire truck red. It is not only not the colour of fine cotton, which is the horse they're trying to swap it for, it's a colour no horse has ever been (laughs) and doesn't occur in nature. (laughs) I was going to say one word. No, two, late scratching. Yeah. At this point, for these people and what's at stake and the big money backers who we're presuming have underworld connections, its stakes are too high than to proceed with the plan in such a half-assed state. Well, the thing we don't know is we don't know who the people are behind it, but they know that another trainer's been killed for not going through with a remedy. Yeah. Now, whether Gillespie, being a con man and liar he is, is not communicating back up the chain that this has gone wrong, this yes. has happened, this is our current situation, we think it's better to just not go through with it and they might have said, yep, we don't want to get busted, let's stop, or whether yes. he is just such a... I can still pull this off. And whether he's not telling them up the chain yeah. the problem and he's pushing this through on his own or whether he's put it up the chain and they've gone, we don't care, you guys get it done. Either way, he's know. pushing on with Either way, they feel they can't stop, you know. A little ill-conceived. Yeah, very point. ill. And at this point, they think we're screwed. Yeah. This is done. So they're all gathered there. They decide, let's move the horse closer to the track. We'll take it to Robert North's place, who's one of the other conspirators who is a socialite. His house is in a leafy, expensive suburb of Brisbane. Right. So they take this bright red red horse horse in the front yard of the street. Yes. They bring out fine cotton, the actual horse. Yes. And they bring out bold personality, the bright red horse. So anyone in that quiet, expensive suburb who walked past that house on that day. Can see them. Can see a bright red fire truck coloured horse and another brown horse eating the plants. Yeah. <laughs> right? 
and they decide we need to hose this horse down. Maybe we can wash some of this off is right. the thing to do. Yeah. North is furious because he knows this is, paint stripper. this is going to ruin his grass. <laughs> <laughs> we got bigger problems <laughs> than your grass, mate. They start scrubbing and washing the horse yep. down and there are pools of brown water gathering on the grass at its feet. Yeah. And after a little bit of doing this, they find that the red kind of goes and it returns to a sort of a brownish colour. Right. It's not that close to fine cotton. It's not there. It's not fire truck red. It's a brown there. Oh, that's good. So they think, okay, this is better than we were in yeah. an hour ago, right? It's not sure. great. The dye job hasn't really worked that well, but we've pulled it back. So they're all standing there watching the horse looking at their handiwork going, okay, maybe. And then Gillespie remembers that the fine cotton on its back legs has white. Tana says, no worries, and grabs a spray can of white spray paint. (laughs) Right. And steps up and sprays the horse's hind legs. A current affair, the TV news program, did a reenactment of this and actually spray painted a horse. His legs to show it. It's great it's on YouTube. How it works. And so white and brown paint is mixing and running onto the ground. Yeah. So it's now dripping paint, this horse. Well, that's foretelling. And they look at the horse's legs and go, that didn't really work very well. No. So they B. put bandages across the legs. So you know how often horse races oh, are sometimes race with socks on. Yeah, so they, they decide to do that to well, try and mask the nightmare. One step is. ahead always. Yeah. Now, as they stand there going, this isn't our finest work. Yeah. This is not great. Uh, Hariana suddenly notices that they haven't shod bold personality. It doesn't have horse shoes on it. It's got it. no shoes. It's got no shoes. <laughs> they're, they're racing in like about a couple of hours. <laughs> so he gets on the phone. He says, not to worry, grab me the phone book. This is before mobile phones. Ferries are us. And he finds a bloke that he knows. And he right. goes, oh, I'll get Teddy to come do it. Teddy... Good bloke, won't ask any questions, cash in hand. <laughs> Which is not what you want in Eddie's. Like, they're on the front lawn still in full view of everyone. Like, so they're not exactly covering their uh. tracks, right? He shows up in his van. He doesn't ask any questions. He asks for a beer. They give him a beer. He looks at it. And he says, this horse looks like a, a racer, like a racehorse. And they go, yeah, it is. And he goes, oh, I've only got Pacers shoes, which means for harness racing. <laughs> right? Now, harness racing horses are in a harness race, you know, they've got the buggy attached yeah. to them. They're thicker to provide more stability sure. while you're going around the corners with this thing attached to you, where race horses are like sprinter shoes. They're really thin. Yeah. So, As I opposed don't have, to Crocs. Yeah, that's right. Like it's the difference <laughs> between running in Nikes compared to Blundstones, right? <laughs> One for a different task. Oh, I'm surprised the horse didn't run in Blundstone. Yeah, exactly. This is insane. He says, I've only got these Pacers shoes. Hotana says, just bung them on. It's too late to worry about Let's this. Go. But he does it and they pay him cash now and he leaves. <laughs> Probably wondering what the hell is going on. But the only man to have made money from this. I think you're uh, right. Yeah. Affair. So they're all standing there now considering their situation. They've got a ring in that doesn't look like the horse they're trying to swap it for. The horse has gone through hell in the last 48 sure. hours. Over 
dehydrated, rehydrated. Yeah, it's yeah, been bled, bled painted, <laughs> spray painted, yeah. and now it's got the wrong shoes. It's got the wrong shoes on. <laughs> and it, a, it's raced a couple of hours. And it's got a win. Yeah. Gillespie assures everyone it's going to be fine. He said stewards and cops are in on it. Hatan is not convinced. He still thinks that giving fine cotton amphetamines is a better plan, right? He's the voice of reason. When that seems like you kind of, I'm listening to this going, he's probably right. Yeah, go with that. So when you think the guy with the plan to inject speed into a horse is the one with the sensible eye, yeah, you know you're in a bad situation, (laughs) right? He insists on taking both horses to Eagle Farm Racetrack. Let's keep our options open. Let's keep plan B. You mean he's going to... He says it's race fine cotton. If it, he says it's not too late. If we decide at the last moment, at the whiff of we might not be able to pull this up, we can always swap in fine cotton. So Gillespie's not up for this. He thinks this is a stupid idea, but he agrees to let him bring fine cotton along as well to Eagle Farm, all right, uh, just to keep him happy. But he knows there's no way we're not doing the swap. We're not racing the right horse. <laughs> so they all take off and they arrive at the racetrack and they pull in. They park where. Yes. Trainers and everyone is allowed to park, bring the horses in. They open up the horse float and bold personality has dripped paint <laughs> all over the base of the float. It's covered in hair dye oh and paint, yes. hair dye and paint. They put a blanket over it and take it to the stables, hoping people don't really sure. sit, get a look at Let's it until the last minute. not attention to ourselves. Yeah. Fine cotton's left in the float for the day, oh. right? The problem is... Haitana decides to give it the amphetamines anyway, just in case. (laughs) So this means Fine Cotton's in for a bad day because it's going to be on speed speed, but locked in a metal horse area. So that's not great. You only hear a horse kicking the side of a barn. Yeah. There's going to be a fair bit of... There's going to be a lot of that, oh, right? You've got a, an amped up horse. Fiasco yeah. is the word yeah. that is springing to mind. Bold personality is due to run in race four, which is called the Second Commerce Novice. Yeah. Now, it is a race for so-called emerging races, but not horses, but not, not like... Maidens. No, but not particularly talented horses or old horses that are basically passed at. This is a nothing race. It's just a normal Saturday race in Queensland. Yeah. It's like it is no one is paying attention to this race. It is not an important race. None of these horses are destined to go on to do anything. Yeah. Everyone knows that or it's horses that are well passed. It is just total filler, something to give the punters the to card. bet on, right? Yeah. Fill out the card. Keep the punters happy. None of the horses are good. None of them. <laughs> Right, bold personality is of such class because it's one group twos that wouldn't even be allowed to race in this. So if if you applied bold personality racing this under its own name, they'd say no. It's like going down five divisions, right? It's just totally pointless, right? They hope the papers that Gillespie's had forged will stand up to the checks. The problem is, and he hasn't told them this, that while he was in jail, his master printer has disappeared. So he's sort of had to do it through other ways. So the papers are not very good. So where's he had this done? Just someone else in you, but not the other guy was really good. This guy. It's a big problem. Yeah. But he doesn't say it to anyone and doesn't tell anyone. So Haitana's in the stables with the horse, with bold personality before the race. The stewards come by. We don't know they're in on it in that Gillespie says they're in on it, but you would never believe anything Gillespie says at any point in all of this. So Haitana's absolutely panicking. The stewards come up. They know him. They know about fine cotton as in the horses race before. 
and they don't even look at the horse barely or the papers. Yeah. Which we're told was actually quite common practice as well, but also it makes Haitana start to think maybe Gillespie's right, they are in on it. So conflicted. The reason this becomes suspicious though, like even though the Haitana's right that the stewards don't give this a good look. Yeah. Gillespie is right. He does have a lot of the police and other people on side. The way he's got them on side is he hasn't bribed them. He's just told them about, he's got cut them in the on the ring in. Get the tip. The idea is no one is to gamble at Eagle Farm on course. The idea is because the off-site bookies that are illegal, like illegal bookmakers, yeah. they go off the track price. Yeah. So the idea is if you don't do a betting plunge at the track, the odds will stay gotcha. long and the suspicion will not well. be, stewards and everything won't think. The problem is Gillespie's told a bunch of police a bunch of other people about this and they've all gone and told everyone else. And so we're about to see the biggest betting plunge <laughs> in the history of Australian racing oh, on a horse that's meant to be a secret. This will get your attention. So this is always the hardest bit. I've said it before. Putting the money on a dodgy thing is the hard bit because if a lot of money comes in for a – this is a pointless Queensland race that no one is interested in and a then suddenly of millions of dollars yeah. are coming in for it, people start to go – and this has happened in Queensland before at the time. Remember, it's the most corrupt state yeah. in the country and racing is corrupt at this point even by racing standards by a lot. The minute any movement it's comes in that's weird, everyone's like yeah. something's up here, yeah. right? But if a horse comes in half a dollar on track, people are going, oh, Yeah, right. what do people know? And there's a feeding frenzy. Yeah. You get on on the basis of that. So as the day starts, Fine Cotton's odds, now Fine Cotton's not running but they all think yes. it's Fine Cotton, are 33 to 1. Oh, that's juicy. That's a juicy thing, right? Which makes sense because Fine Cotton's a bad horse and even in this bad field he's, the, he's like really bad. Yeah. But the word's now out that the fix is in. And the big thing is often you want to keep these things quiet, but the oh. fix is in. The idea was if you don't bet the track and bet off-site at other places that won't raise suspicion until later, right? So the thing is money starts to come in for fine cotton. First of all, the problem is it comes in at the track. Yes. But secondly, the word's got out around the country. <laughs> so money is coming in from every state of Australia and bookies as far away as Fiji, Vanuatu and Papua New Guinea. <laughs> <laughs> There's been a big plunge in Papua New yeah, Guinea. Like Tom Hanks in Castaway would have heard about oh this on his God. island. Like this is how bad the thing is, right? This is what are the implications for the backers, the big backers, because they need to get on first, right? Do well, they, they get on at thirty three? Because also this is pre-internet, so you can't. You got to go around to different bookies and put bets on. You got to have people know, actually right. physically doing it, yes. going around to pubs where there's like illegal bookies, and you can't just go in and go, "Here's like a million dollars." You got to go in you and go. Do it kind of at the same time. It's a bit like him running around a chemist to chemist. You got to yeah. run around and go, "Oh, here's ten grand here, ten grand here, ten grand here, ten grand here." So that's yeah. how you, because a lot of them won't take bigger yeah. bets. So they've got people whose job it is to go and do all that, right? But the problem now is everyone's trying to get on fine cotton. Yeah. The odds will start to come in. And then you're not making as much money, and but it also signals that something is wrong. Thirty-three to one, it couldn't come in a lot. Yeah, this is unheard of. The amount of money coming in on a small Queensland yeah. race like this, right? This is like Melbourne Cup money coming on, but for a nothing race. Over the course of the morning, the odds of fine cotton first dropped from thirty-three to one to twenty to one. Twenty-five minutes before the race, betting on the 
track officially opens because betting on track in Australia at this point in time is legal. Yeah. Off track is illegal, but there's heaps of people that will yeah. illegal bookies. Like yeah. every pub's got an sure. illegal bookie. So on the track that it opens 25 minutes out from the race, the odds instantly drop from 33 to 1 to 20 to 1. 25 minutes before it starts to drop even further in free fall, 20 to 1, 15 to 1, and it stops at 7 to 2, equal favourite. <laughs> and it is the biggest betting pledge Australia's ever seen, and the fine cotton is now equal favourite with the horse Harbour Gold, which everyone expects is Harbour Gold is seen as light years ahead of the rest of the field. Yes. And it's one of it up. It should win, yeah. and it was so it was favourite for the reason. But suddenly, this horse that's never won anything is hopeless. So anyone with half a brain's looking at this, going something's this wrong. Even people not in on the scam have now heard the rumours or have watched the money come in. And anyone, on, of course, watching those is it's just going to go. You need yeah. to get on this, the fi- and they know the fix is in. No one is looking at this, going, "Oh, maybe Fine Cotton's actually really good." They all know. This is dodgy. Right. This is a Queensland dodgy thing happening and I want to be in that. John Mort, the butterfly green, who's a colourful Brisbane punter, he'd been tipped off about it. His agents are backing the horse in both Queensland and New South Wales. Glennis Clark, the wife of a big punter called Gary Clark, she flew to Brisbane with big plastic bags full of cash destined to all go on fine cotton. <laughs> Her husband, Gary Clark, walked up to bookmarker Mark Reed, who's a very famous bookie Mark in Australia. Reed, and he wanted to bet $6,000 on it. Reed remarked, if this isn't a ringing, I'm not here and stop betting on fine cotton. So he was so one of the bookies that went. Take it somewhere else. At Southport, a pregnant woman is seen handing over piles of cash for the horse. <laughs> in Hobart, an investment banker by the name of Ian Murray is laying his bets. He's known as Big Time Punter in Sydney normally. He put $50,000 on. Wow. At the Appen Dog Tracks for the Greyhounds near Sydney, <laughs> A dodgy Catholic priest called Father Edward O'Dyer <laughs> was seen punting with any bookie who would take his money all on fine cotton. It gets to the point where punters are taking any odds. Yeah. So even if a bookie goes, well, I'll give you one to one, they're like, yep, do it. <laughs> it's like they're just getting on, right? At the racetrack itself, there's an astounding amount of police at the track, including <laughs> most of the fraud squad. <laughs> yes. And they're all in their civilian clothes. Not and they're working? Not, they're not working. They're all there to have put money on fine cotton. So you've got the police. When Queensland you've got the fraud, fraud squad, squad on board, you know you're on a right. winner. One of the most interesting punters at Eagle Farm is an elderly woman named Mona Lewis. She's the police commissioner of Queensland's Terry Lewis's mother. He uses her to put on dodgy bets. She's having a crack. She shows up there to bet on fine cotton for him. So the police commissioner is in on it and he's smart enough not to do it in person. So he sends her. She bets big with a rails bookmaker, John Sinclair. He is dismayed because the bookies all realise what's going on and they know they are going to take an absolute bath because they're they're the ones that are going to lose. So who's going to lose the money? The bookies. They're taking all this money in but they know they're going to have to pay out way more to all these punters, right? They'll lose millions of dollars. Now John Sinclair realises he's got the police commissioner effectively betting with him and so the police commissioner's in on it. Yeah. So they can't tell anyone. They like, can't really blow the whistle they on can't this blow because, the, yeah. Because at the time the Queensland Police Force, and this has been proven later, would make people literally disappear mm. and I mean as in never coming back again. You're taking the bet. If you challenge the corruption, this is how yeah. serious it was in Queensland, they would kill people to yeah. shut them up. 
So yeah. the bookie has to he has to take moaners. He's getting robbed by the police commissioner. Yeah. So they realize I gotta suck it up. Now in Sydney, Mick Sayers, the man Gillespie claims is funding the scam. He's listening to the radio and radio uh, racing commentator Mel uh, Meekle, who's down in Sydney, comes on the radio and says, and if you're having a bet in Brisbane, race four, number five, fine cotton, watch the market moves, but it's a good each way chance at odds. And Mick says, was like, now everyone knows. This is the worst kept secret in history. This is incredible. Millions of dollars are now staked on fine cotton. Yeah. Gus Philpot at the time was an ambitious apprentice jockey and he gets a call from Haitana a few days before and says, would you ride fine cotton? He's not in the scam in any way, yes. shape or form. And Tim, it's not a big deal. He's racing a few other times that day. He's a young jockey, up and comer. And he's like, great, I'm doing an extra race on the day. Yeah. He says, when I came into the mounting yard, the trainer, Hayden Hartana, didn't make any declarations that fine cotton was a certainty. Actually, he just sounded like a nervous country trainer hoping he could get come to the big smoke and win a race. Philbot climbs aboard and slowly trots around the mounting yard. It's a 12-horse field. He does a slow lap, you know, the mounting yard before they go yes, out onto the track. He notices the other jockeys all staring at fine cotton. <laughs> he returns their gaze and they look up at him. One jockey smiles, two more winked at him. And another gave him the thumbs up signal. <laughs> They're all on it. They all know. Are... So everyone else knows. He thinks this is very strange. He doesn't. He's. He said I was naive and innocent. Didn't, and he's going. Why are these other jockeys being so nice to me? This is really weird. But he thought maybe they're just very welcoming here. I don't know. Mm. So we now get to the race. The dice cast. Bob Personnel is on the track. The die is cast, literally. Literally. It goes very easy into the racing gate. It's ready to starting gate. It's ready to go. The money is all on. The race that stops a nation midweek. Oh, people in Vanuatu and Papua New Guinea and <laughs> Vanuatu are listening. Everyone is listening and tuned in. Right? Yeah. So the race starts and bold personality is slow out of the gate. Okay. And everyone goes, it's just a few, few seconds late, but everyone goes, oh, no. And then it's like the pent-up frustration this horse has of being locked up, died, yeah. watered, shod poorly, all this. It takes off. <laughs> and the horse gets moving. And you got to remember, it's several grades better. It's like, yeah. you know, it's like entering an AFL footballer it, it, in the Oz kick. It yeah. is just not even like... sure. The jockey Philpot surprised at how easily the horse takes <laughs> off and how fast it is because he's used to riding at this grade and suddenly he's like, what the, this is the I'm best on I'm on a rocket. What is like catches up to the other horses um, and it moves close to the front. The other favourite Harbour Gold's in the lead and it's on the rail and Bold Personality basically catches up and is on the outside. But Harbour Gold doesn't give up and the race is now just between the two of them and it's close a little too close for everyone's liking. Yeah. The rest of them are all far back. Yeah. The crowd is going nuts. They've all got their money on fine cotton and it's meant to be a sure thing, but suddenly it's not a sure thing. Yeah. The two horse keeps swapping who's in front, literally running side by side. You can watch this race on yes. YouTube. It's hard to tell who's leading. They go into the straight and as they approach the line, fine cotton's ahead, but Harbour Gold catches up to it. And everyone's like, oh, what's going to happen? And it's a photo finish. And at the last second, it turns out, bold personality has got its head in front and it's won. Phew. The, 
It's won the race. The punters, the gang, the police, the police commissioner, half of Australia, <laughs> parts of Vanuatu, Fiji and Papua New Guinea have all won a lot of money. This the bookies beautiful. are broke. They've done their dough. Despite everything that's happened, you know, the problems, yeah. the crazy ideas, it's worked. The plan that seemed to just be destined for failure has worked. Haitana is already at the bar slamming back beers. <sighs> More in relief than sort of yeah, celebrating. Sure. I love a happy ending. Phil Pop was thrilled to win the race, but to him it wasn't that big a deal. He was focused on a race later in the day, the Apprentice Cup, and so this was just a ride for yep. him. Happy to have won, great for him, but he's back at the rails. He starts to wonder why people were yelling and screaming over the fence at him. And he thought, I was a bit naive. I thought they were booing me because I was a roughie and I must have beaten the favourite. So right. he was sort of like... And he gets to the scales to weigh in. The horse is with him. He's got to do correct weigh in. And paint is beginning to run on his leg and down the leg of the horse onto the grass. This for the stewards is even hard to ignore. Yes, exactly. Now we get to the bottom of where the stewards lie. What's worse, though, is despite the fact that most people at the track are all on fine cotton and are thrilled at wind and are happy to turn a blind eye, a group of men start yelling, ring in, ring in, investigate, ring in. Right. And the stewards are standing there awkwardly with a horse dripping paint on the grass <laughs> and men accuse them of a ring in Yeah, and realise we can't just go ahead with this. We've got to work out what to do. And so they stop payment of bets on the race and the place goes nuts. They haven't called correct weight. They have not called no. correct weight and they have said, hold off. Hold all h- bets. Hold all bets. And the course is like, what the hell? Reporters are running around trying to find out what's going on. Over the public announcement system comes race four, hold all tickets. Race four, hold all tickets. Hayden Hatana to the stewards' room. Hayden Hatana <laughs> to the stewards' room. Gillespie, Robert Northink, we're screwed. And they leave the track. They flee. Philbot said, minutes after I got off the scales, the stewards grabbed me, sat me down and asked how I'd got the ride. I told them that a call came from Hayden Hightown to the stable. It was refreshing actually now I think back. The stewards immediately had exonerated me and I was still a bit dazed when I got back to the jockey's room and some of the older blokes were pointing out the window saying that you've just ridden a ring in. And I pulled one of them aside and said, what's a ring in? Hayden Haitana faces up to the stewards and they tell him, go and get the registration papers for this horse. Now, Haitana knows a good chance to do a runner when he sees one. Right. And he flees the course. So Gillespie, North and Haitana have fled. All gone. The stewards are waiting for him to come back. Yep. And as the minutes tick by, they begin to think, hey, maybe he's not coming back. <laughs> he's called for over the PA multiple times. By complete chance... Bold personality's former owner, Bill Nam happens to be at the track because yes. he's a racing guy. He's just there for other reasons. Yeah. And he sees the horse being checked over by the stewards as it leaks paint on the grass <laughs> and instantly recognises it as bold personality. His horse is yes. just sold to these guys. That's purse, he says out loud. He produces bold personality's identification card. Now the stewards know what horse it is. They yeah. know it's not fine cotton. Right. It is over. They have been caught. Now all the police and officials who had money on it know their money's gone. Oh, boy. They start to think about punishing the gang. They go, if it's going to be blown now, we're going to get these guys and they're going to go do jail time. They swing to being on board, turning a blind eye to, we now have to, you know, 
they also become very concerned about how far this could spread. Right. Who's in on it? We know the chief commissioner put bets on it. We know we put bets on this. This could wow. blow up in our faces. It's turned. An hour after the race, it's officially all disqualified, but the thing that happens too is all bets stand in that bold personality or fine cotton is completely disqualified, but Harbour Gold's awarded the race. Yes. If you had money on bold personality or on fine cotton, you thought, you just lost that money. You didn't get it back. Yes. You lost it. The bookies make out like it's the best day on the course they've ever had. So they're the winners. They're the winners. And anyone that had money on Harbour Gold, so anyone who's an honest punter, or, you know, liked Harbour Gold, didn't know the ringing was on, which were some people, yeah. not many, they did really well because Harbour Gold was the favourite until yeah. the plunge came. So if there's one thing a corrupt organisation hates, it's attention and Queensland is corrupt. <laughs> Russ Hins was on the blower to everyone yeah. going, what is going on down disaster. there? It's a disaster. It was front page news everywhere. It was leading the newspaper bulletins. This had the ability to just tip a bucket on all sorts of things that were going on up there. So they are all phoning and around saying shut racing. it down. <laughs> yeah. The Queensland Turf Club is told to launch an inquiry. This is them investigating themselves. Yeah, Half sure. of them were in on it. And the police also announced an investigation. This is like completely pointless. Like yeah. They're all quite happy to throw the gang under the bus though. So they announced Gillespie, North and Haitana as... Suspects and they're all on the run. Rumours are swirling that bigger forces are behind the scam that no one knows at this stage what is going on. Fine Cotton's missing. The actual horse. The actual Fine Cotton. Bold personality goes, stays with the stewards while they investigate. No one knows where Fine Cotton's got to. And everyone starts asking who's behind this because they all know these three guys are involved in it and go, they can't be behind the whole And thing. these three are going to be in trouble from forces Larger than them, larger which is the police them. and the politicians and the fraud squad and everything on one side, and then yeah, big backing money investors from the other side. That's right. So and they are on the run. They're on the they're run. They're not in a good position. Everyone. They're not in a good position. So they and no one knows where they are. One man who hadn't lost any money on fine cotton was the Pope of Sydney, George Freeman. Right, the criminal mastermind who wears the white suits. Yes, n- managed to avoid getting arrested. All this. Jed couldn't even be tempted on the plunge when he knew. He remembered that Gillespie, when he, from when he approached him, asking him for money on an earlier ring-in. Yes. And remember, he thought I wouldn't go into it because Gillespie gets caught all the time, right? Yeah. Now remember, I said he'd filed that away in his head. Yes. He, of course, is connected on high. Knew this ring-in was occurring. Yes. Before probably most people did. He sure. knew Gillespie was doing it. He knew what yeah. they were up to and everything. So he put all his money on Harbour Gold. <laughs> which at worst got to five to one but was often seven to a half. Absolutely. Because he knew it was the best horse was going to win. Yeah. The only problem is the ringing was going to beat it and it wouldn't win. Then Freeman made sure the world knew that the ringing was on. So he went around and told everyone. One of the people he told was Bookie, of one of the did. biggest bookies in the land, Robbie Waterhouse. Okay. Knowing Robbie would tell everyone. Now we'll get into Robbie in a bit, but he told him, he told everyone he knew, let's get the word out so the plunge comes in on fine cotton. Incredible. Then he made sure that there were people at the track at the time to yell ring in, ring in (laughs) and force an investigation, knowing that then fine cotton would be 
disqualified and the Harvey Gold hits. bet and he would be rich. He made a million dollars from this. Incredible. He was so powerful, the bookies came to his house one by one to deliver the cash because <laughs> Freeman never left his house. Because he was always he escaped some murder attempts from other criminal yeah, enterprises. No, the bookies didn't care that they had to give the money to George because they'd made so much money off the fine oh, cotton things in so that they thought saw this as like you know he's your... rid of it. So that's one part. Now some people have said before Freeman was the mastermind behind it all, and some people say that it was a scam within a scam. We'll get into that, you know, like that it was always meant to be a yes. double bluff. But I think Freeman just saw an, a bug opportunity and yeah. took it. He was smart enough. Why get anyone else involved? Why do any work? I don't have to do anything. I don't have to do I'm anything legit. except just make a sure. point out. And I bet on a legit horse. So in the Queensland Parliament, as this is all blowing up, mm. on August 30, so 12 days after the race, the rumours are swirling around that Robbie Waterhouse and his father Bill, who are the two biggest bookies in Australia at yes. the time, are behind all this. Now, these were rumours and yes. they've denied it ever since and there was no proof that came to light. But independent MP Lindsay Hartwig stood up in the Queensland Parliament during question time and named Robbie Waterhouse. Now, you got to remember, this is under parliamentary privilege where Community. you can't be sued. Yeah. So he says, Robbie Waterhouse, he says to Russ Hins, the minister in question time, is he the Mr Big in this scandal? Hins gives a straight answer and says, look, police and racing club are investigating. This is all a matter for that. I'm not going to comment. But secretly Queensland are thrilled, and this is where if you were defending Robbie War and Bill Waterhouse, you'd say they're all thrilled to make out it's not corrupt Queensland racing. It's these people down in Sydney who are trying to corrupt our... Uh, so they okay. were quite happy to let this run as an idea. Yeah, right. Right? Okay. So that's one element of it. Deflecting attention from themselves. Yeah. That's one way of looking at it, right? Yep. Robbie Waterhouse in Sydney about a few hours later fronts the media cameras and declares he's completely innocent. He says, I'm not the Mr. Big behind the scam. It's not true. Right. Haitana's on the run and he's holed up in hotels. His face is splashed across every newspaper and television and every cop in the country. Is she going to get some him. hair dye? <laughs> <laughs> He knows that probably there's criminals after him too. Who gets him first? That's what you want. That's what, and he knows a lot of the cops are corrupt too. So handing himself into the police is hardly a sensible solution here either. No. So he picks up the phone and calls a relatively new TV show in Australia that's based on a, in 1984, which is based on an American format called 60 Minutes that goes on to become the yes. premier news program in Australia. He asks for a new reporter who's only just started there fairly recently. She's been on TV a little bit called Yana Wendt, who goes mm. on to become incredibly famous. Of course. He agrees to be interviewed by her. He figures if I'm public, it's harder to kill me if everyone knows who I am and yeah. sees me and if I suddenly go missing, it looks even dodgier. Yeah. The interview's a disaster. He's drunk off his mind. <laughs> Don't remember this. Out of the nine minutes they film or something, they can only use about a minute of it. <laughs> He says, like, I was made to do the whole thing. There were heavies that followed me around the whole time and one point a man showed me a gun and said, do you want to end up like Trainer Brown? So he really paints himself as I was this, yeah. I was the fall guy for this and sure. I was made to do it against my will. But it does the job. Now he's so well known it's hard for people to, to kill him. He's eventually arrested in the Truro pub, which is a town 100 kilometres northeast of Adelaide. He went to the pub 
because he couldn't ever say no to a beer. He put on sunglasses and a hat. That was his disguise. (laughs) He ordered the beer from the bartender. The bartender poured him a a beer and then goes out the back and calls the cops. (laughs) Gillespie's also found hiding in his sister's closet in Victoria. (laughs) But he gets given bail and he disappears. The Australian Jockey Club, which is sort of based in Sydney and is the Sydney club but is seen as the premier, along with the Victorian Racing Club, they're sort of the two premier and they do the rules of racing and all that sort of stuff. They decide that the Queensland Authority's investigation is going to be rubbish, right? Police and they're they're not going to really. But they decide that as the leading club in the land and the fact that there's all this money bet in Sydney, that they need to investigate fine cop, right? Which is very unwanted from the Queensland side of things, <laughs> right? So they appoint their chief steward, John Shrek, who's the known as the sheriff, still okay. around today, yeah. very respected. They appoint him to investigate this, and he's relentless. He has more than sixty witnesses. He pulls in and grills mm. them like it's because they have powers to actually force people to yeah. do this, right? He asked all of the 60, roughly 60 people if they knew Fine Cotton was a ring-in. These are people he knew would bet on them. Yes. They all said no, didn't know. <laughs> they all basically said, I saw the money moving the way it was. I knew that something was up. Which is reasonable. But I got on yeah. it. There's, you can't, I've got no I didn't have no explicit knowledge. Knowledge. Of being around. Yeah. He tracks down Merchant Bank E. Murray, who's the one that bet in Tasmania with 50,000. He said, I was just guessing. He tracks down Father O'Dwyer. The person who put it on at the Greyhound yes. thing. He tells the sheriff the same thing, just just saw the odds and went. The bet that went to Mark Reed from Gary Clark, who he said this is a ring in and shut down the betting, that gets investigated. Yes. Gary Clark says, I don't know what you're talking about. I just saw the money yeah. move and got in, right? The sheriff looked all of this and didn't believe any of them. He knows that a lot of the men he was interviewing had links to the waterhouses. Gary Clark had been a betting agent for him. They all sort of knew him. He thinks I'm going to keep going with this. Yeah, okay. He keeps investigating and eventually first Father O'Dwyer breaks down under investigation and admits he'd been betting on behalf of Robbie Waterhouse. Oh. And Murray and Clark all fold too and they admit that they were betting on behalf of Robbie Waterhouse. But for people who don't know, the Waterhouse is a multi-generational racing family in Australia. I know you know this. So Charles Waterhouse was the first. He was a Sydney bookie who was licensed in 1898. It goes back that far. His son Bill takes over as the driving force. Bill had been qualified as a lawyer but took over the bookmaking and he's the one that becomes the big better. So Waterhouse is known for being a huge punt. He'd take on punters such as Ray Hopkins, Hong Kong Tiger Frank Duval and the <laughs> Filipino Fireball Felipe <laughs> Ismail. So, you know, this is crazy. But in 1968, he lost $1 million in a single day. In yes. $968, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. He is seen as the largest punter and gambler and bookie in the world at this point in time. Kerry Packer often bet with him, yes. the media magnet. One time, Kerry just refused flat out to pay a million dollars in bets he owed him. Bill was trying to get his money back, was on the phone to Packer going, come on, like, you know, you owe me a million, yeah. pay it back. And Packer said, you can go and get effed and whistle for it. You'll get nothing from me. Wow. So his son Robert joins him, Robbie Waterhouse, and now Robbie Waterhouse is married to Gay Waterhouse, so that makes it Bill, yes. and she's a famous trainer. He yes. goes on to be a famous trainer and still is. The daughter of a famous trainer. And the daughter of Tommy Smith, the famous trainer too. So this is racing royalty. Yeah. So John the Sheriff becomes convinced that they 
were involved with the fine con scheme in some way. He's mm. got no credible evidence. He doesn't. He's not necessarily saying that they set it up or anything, but whole. in some way they've got some connection. He's trying yes. to figure that that out. The Australian Jockey Club and, and the sheriff adopt an unconventional approach. They serve Bill and Robbie Waterhouse and seven others, including Murray Clark and Father O'Dwyer, all these people they've found betting on their behalf, notices of them to show why they shouldn't be warned off the track for prior knowledge. Yes. So prior knowledge doesn't mean you knew you were involved in setting any of it up, but it means you'd found out about that a ring was occurring and you put money on yeah. rather than blow the whistle. Um, so these are show cause notices. You prove to us why you okay. shouldn't be banned from racing. Well, getting to the bottom of this is so murky and no one knows this day. They will say this was a witch hunt. No, they'd never before used show cause notices. Yes. You were either found guilty or not guilty. You didn't have to prove your innocence, which is you're innocent until proven guilty, but some bodies can do show cause notices, which is you got to prove your innocence. And this yeah. is what they actually did to the Waterhouses and these other gamblers. So yeah. This is where there's wheels upon wheels. You can argue all different ways on this. Oh, totally. It's a house of cards. Now, the problem is Robbie Waterhouse fronts this tribunal. He doesn't know that the sheriff has got some of these blokes to crack. Yeah. So he gets up and says that he has not been involved in betting on fine cotton at all. Now, this is going to be a big problem for him. Yeah. Now, there's no proof found that the Waterhouses in any way, shape or form were involved in the funding or the execution of the scheme. This body doesn't find anything of that and doesn't make that accusation. But they do determine that Robbie had and Bill had prior knowledge of the fine cotton ringing. This is in October uh -huh. 30, 1984. His book like maker's license is torn up. He's warned off racetracks for life and not just Australian racetracks, every affiliated racecourse in the world, US, Europe, UK, Asia. So him and Bill, their business is done. Yeah. Ian Clark, Jerry Clark, Clark's wife and father O'Dwyer are all warned off for life too. They yep. cannot step on a racetrack ever again. Robbie Waterhouse appeals and it's rejected. He also gets fined later on that he told deliberate lives in the hope of not being warned off about pre-knowing. So yes. when he said I didn't put any money on it and it was found out he did through all these other people. He's sentenced to an eight-month periodic detention which obliged Waterhouse to spend weekends at a detention centre. Now, his okay. wife, Gay Waterhouse, is the spouse now of a disqualified person, so she's barred from owning racehorses. She's to sell the 13 she part owns. She has to keep reapplying to try and get the ban lifted. Um, she goes to the Equal Opportunities Tribunal saying, "This is I'm discriminated because I'm someone's wife. Yes. There, there's no um, inkling Other that she had anything world, to yeah. do with it at all, um, even the betting. She's not even part of this at all. When she was appealing at one stage, Australian Jockey Club committee member Peter Kaplan QC said, Robbie Waterhouse was the axle on which this huge wheel of betting operated in the fine cotton affair. I consider he was a deceitful man with a commanding personality with the capacity to influence others. So this stops Gabe being able to get it. Eventually, though, by January 92, she finally gets it. Yep. Robbie Waterhouse, though, has said on the record, I did not know Fine Cotton was a ring-in. He said, I most certainly was not aware that a ring-in was involved. I couldn't believe that a ring-in was possible on a metropolitan track. It was unthinkable. So that's what he's said. Yep. The court case in October 1985 starts for Hatana, Bobby North, Tommy, our friend who drove the, <laughs> the Toyota Corolla. Corolla. They are all charged with conspiracy to defraud the public by affecting for deceit the result of the race. Gillespie's charged but he's missing. 
no one knows who he is. Phil Pot, the jockey, spends weeks in the Supreme Court as a crown witness and a bunch of other people that it goes on for ages. Phil Pot gets totally exonerated, the jockey. Okay. Uh, but he says the mud sticks and that doesn't help him for the rest of his career. Charge against uh, Dixon, who was one of the other guys, is dropped, but North and Haitana are each jailed. They end up with um, between six to one year of jail. Gillespie, who's not there and has absconded on bail, is um, subsequently caught and jailed for four years, but he only serves two, and some of that was of house arrest. Well, he's probably spent time coming up with another scam. Yeah, That's exactly. where he came up with this one, was it? Pongo Road. Now, he tells the court that Mick Sayers was behind the ring-in and the Waterhouse has had no knowledge of it. And this is where it's the mystery. Was Sayers involved? Well, Gillespie tells the court Sayers was the guy. And he says the Warehouse knew nothing of it. You know, this is where it's hard to know, right? Like, and, and, and that's if someone is even behind it, right? So this brings us to Mick Sayers, the Mr. Big. So yeah. this is sort of, if you think of it, suspect number one of being the Mr. Big is Mick Sayers. Uh, Gillespie says it is, and other people have since picked up his name and said the Waterhouses have quite often pointed to Sayers yeah. as the, you know, it's not them, it's him. It's thrown a lantern up. Now, the problem is um, Robbie Waterhouse got up and said Sayers' name in evidence and to the media at, at his hearing and to the media. So Sayers has identified him, Gillespie's identified him. The Sydney Morning Herald also in 1984, 2nd December, wrote a thing saying that there was a presence of a Melbourne-born gangster now living in Sydney as the principal architect of the fine cotton scandal. So the word is getting about that it is Sayers as the yes. Mr Big, which is possible, but the problem is a key moment in all this is February 1985, and this is before the court case happened to him, Sayers is murdered. He's owed debts to various bad people and he's murdered. And it's a murder that's never been solved to this day. It made him a very easy target to hang the blame on. That guy did it. Yes. And he was never really held up in any meaningful way as the mastermind until he was dead. The minute he was dead, Gillespie's telling the world that it was Sayers. That's classic. Now, when you think about it, it's easy to blame Sayers. He's no longer get you. You're not going to blame the Waterhouses, even if they had no involvement, and I'm not saying they did. They're alive. They yeah. could do you a favour. So why why bag them? You might as well do them a favour and say it wasn't them. Everyone at Queensland Racing and all the politicians are more than happy because it's, oh, look what happened down there. Yeah. So it's now Melbourne and Sydney's fault, yeah, not ours. Not ours. So Sayers is firmly put in the frame, and even recently – is often in media reports and things, and I've read a lot of stuff about this, you'll often read and it will be, I think, quite lazily pushed about because I don't think anyone knows or not publicly on the record knows who's Mr Big, but it's very lazily said, oh, it's Mick Sayers. And you go, well, hang on. Because the problem is Mick Sayers, while he was this big one, he probably didn't have the money to do this. He was in to a million dollars to George Freeman. This is where it all gets murky. So where's he coming up with the money for this scam and everything? Freeman, we know back to Harbour Gold. One other theory is this was a scam upon a scam. A scam was set up to do a ring-in, but Freeman and, and we, others set it up to we trump the scam and then make all the money. Yeah. To me, that's always been a bit implausible. I think Freeman could have executed that. Just smart enough to read, read, read the... But he didn't have to put it together. from the, to. the idea of putting it together from the start like perfect. this. Too many things almost went wrong and were stupid. So this is the thing. Sayers is dead. Gillespie's naming him afterwards. It's all this. It's He's the bogeyman sort of used as it all. And so I don't think there's any credible instance it was Sayers. When you look at it, you kind of go, it, the convenience of blaming Sayers is a dead man 
Yeah. Is a bit simple. All right. Gillespie goes to jail, gets out, and resumes immediately his illustrious career in fraud the moment he gets out. <laughs> he skips off to run bars in Asia, very dodgy type bars <laughs> in Asia. In 1998, Gillespie's named in reports as the ringleader of fraudsters who are captured in the Philippines selling fake passports for the micronation for the dominion of Malchestiek. Now, he claims he's the dominion's president. The problem is it doesn't exist. <laughs> this is an ongoing scam that's been going since the 1990s under multiple different people. Has you got the same guy doing the paperwork? He well, did they, the horses? They set up this fake dominion. And then sold citizenship to it. So people trying to like run away from the law wanting a new yeah. citizenship and passport and everything. They would say, well, why don't you join this thing? Now, the problem is it's moved around a few times. It was originally a small island off the Colombian. Then it was later they just invented a whole new place in the South Pacific that doesn't exist. South Pacific's good. The country also lays claim to part of Antarctica. <laughs> <laughs> Even it's completely made up. So his scam caught hundreds of individuals, some paying up to between $3,500 up to $6,000 for passports. Okay. And it netted him a million dollars, but he spends five years in Manila prison for pulling the passport scam. In the 2000s, he investigated for scams including racehorses, anti-wrinkle cream and a multi-million dollar <laughs> artwork collection. Good Lord. In 2016, Gillespie's name appears in the Panama Papers. The global leak, remember, of for the course. shell company giant Mossack Fonseca. He was found that after he was released to jail in the 90s, he became a founding director of two companies in the Bahamas, <laughs> the International Millionaires Club and the International Horse Owners Club. Both okay. were struck off their registries. <laughs> so far he's had over 358 convictions, fraud, obtaining financial advantage by deception, making fault utterances, counterfeiting forgery. He tells the Herald Sun in 2010, Mm. not that long ago, that the real plan was to back Harbour Gold and spread the rumour far and wide that Sveinkopf was a ringer and a sure thing with the amount coming in and then he would walk away with money and so would the backers. So he's come around. Now he says, I don't mind if people think this was a joke or whatever because I walked away with $1.8 million. No. No, you didn't. John Shrek, the sheriff who investigated this, yeah. said, with great respect to Mr Galepsi, anything he says you would have to take with a great... Big pinch of salt. Now, the thing to me where this scam upon scam to me, I think George Freeman saw an opportunity yeah. and took it. But this idea of setting it up originally as we'll race this ringer that pretends to be fine cotton but really will be scamming everyone else, yeah. to me where it doesn't make any sense, Gillespie comes out, he's a national joke, and he, so he's trying to spin it to I wasn't a joke, I was a really clever mastermind. Yeah. Now, the problem for me is if you were going to do that scam... Yes. Why would you bother with a ringer anyway? Why would you swap fine cotton? You just run the normal, or, like you just. Or why would you go to? Because you the, want Harbour Gold to win anyway. So why would you just not like make the horse lose? True. And have all your money on Harbour Gold, like. But, but also, why would you be in the front of someone's lawn, <laughs> changing the colour so many times? Which everyone just saw. race a horse that kind of looks like it. You don't. Yeah. You don't panic and try. You did everything you could. But you could have just run. You could have told everyone it was a ring in. Everyone yeah. would have put their money on fine cotton. You then put your money on Harbour Gold, run the real fine cotton. The fine cotton would have yeah. come last anyway. You would have won. It doesn't like, hold it, up. It doesn't hold up. It Plus, you don't know Harbour Gold's going to even win. So 
the whole idea is to fix the race so you know who's going to win. Has Harbour any, Gold wasn't necessarily going to win. Has anyone checked that Harbour Gold was Harbour Gold? <laughs> I, I'm just – our gold. Our gold. <laughs> but can I say to you, I, knew, I just well, – I put this out there, but how often does this go on? Because when they get caught, yeah. you go, wow, what's the story? How That's amazing. That happens once in a blue moon. Does it? I'm sure Like it's. how many horses on a country racetrack – Two, I mean, to me, all horses look pretty similar. Yeah, yeah. So if you could get one steward in one country racetrack with one trainer. And you keep your mouth shut. You don't tell everyone, yeah. You could. This could be happening on a weekly basis. Haitana gets sent to Boggo Road again and he thinks, I cannot believe this. I'm in for, you know, it's a horrible place, you know, and, and dangerous and all this. He arrives and before he goes to his cell, they say, Go and see the medic. And this is where his years of boozing and not looking after himself pay off. They say he's got hypertension. They send him to the farm, which is a minimum security prison where you look after animals. <laughs> In November 2013, his lifetime ban is actually ended and he's allowed to go back to racing. Haitana. Oh. Now, he's not, Jeez. he doesn't get involved in any major way, but he is. Um, really? Everyone's a bit amazed. I would have thought that's he's basically a seen. Band. He's basically seen. He's, he's towards the end of his life. He's not. He's no longer a thing. No, that's the biggest black mark in the history of racing yeah. in Australia. But, oh, in December twenty seventeen, he passes away. He's seventy two years old, and so anything he knows goes to the grave. Sure. Wendy Smith, who was the clean skin that yes. looked after some of the horses. She lost her right to enter horses into races, which meant her career as a professional trainer was over. Right. So she was one of the innocents caught up in this. Broke her heart because she loved horses. She tried to go to the high court to have the decision appealed, but it was stood up. It wasn't overturned. So she be lied to her. And to be lied. So she thought, well, I've loved plenty of things. I've done musical comedy. I've been on stage everywhere. I'll do musicals. So she's gone into a career in musical theatre. <laughs> <laughs> it would be a great... Fine cotton. Fine cotton. The musical. musical. Philpot goes into being um, the jockey, bounces around, goes to Sydney, has some luck there, but the mud sort of sticks. He goes to Japan for a bit. He ends up a horse trainer with stables in Bendigo. Bold personality. Let's get to some of the horses. Bold personality. That should be more of a household name too. We all know fine cotton, but bold personality. It is left at the track when Gillespie, Hotana and everyone run to a runner. Mm. It's returned to its owner, Bill Nam, after Gillespie's check, of course, bounces. It never raced again. It was sold to a Brisbane family who renamed it Percy, and Percy spent the rest of its life in a big paddock, very happy, never moved again, never. <laughs> so for all its suffering, ended up with a very lovely life. Yes. Dashing Solitaire. Which thought, should have run, you Which idiots. should have run, the one that injured itself when the kangaroo jumped in the paddock. But had it, is there still probably been five guys at the course calling ringer? Yeah. Ringer. That's right. So it could have, it disappeared, was never found. <laughs> it's come to an end, I think. They got rid of the evidence. Okay. Fine Cotton. After the race, Fine Cotton, star. of course, I said it disappeared and everyone assumed Fine Cotton has been killed. Turns out Fine Cotton was alive and well. When Haitana fled the racetrack, remember, he took Fine Cotton and dropped it off at the Queensland Mounted Police Stables, which is just <laughs> near Eagle Farm. The police keep that absolutely quiet. Yeah. Fine Cotton goes on um, to be bought by a film producer who wanted to make a movie of Fine Cotton Yes. and lives out a very happy life until he's 32, dies of a very old age. 
was often on TV again and stuff. People would like come and look at the horse and say this was you the sure horse. it was the horse that died. It wasn't a horse <laughs> yeah, that was painted the, to look like. Could have been dashing solitaire. <laughs> now that brings us towards Bill and Robbie Waterhouse. In 1998, after being banned for 14 years, they Bill and Robbie Waterhouse were allowed back on Australian race courses. Now the only thing they've ever been found guilty of was knowing in advance that it was a ring in putting money. Right. On. So that's what they were found guilty from. In 1995, there was a spectacular falling out with David Waterhouse, the younger brother of Robbie, son of Bill, who testified in a New South Wales Racing Authority hearing that he had heard that his brother and father bet around 800,000 on fine cot off the books, more than the 66,000 they were called for. He testified that Bill said to him that it all happened. Now, Robbie Waterhouse came away straight away and denied all allegations and that he wasn't engaged in any unlawful conduct. So this is a family feud. So I'm not saying that's true. I'm yes. just telling you this is all publicly reported. David Waterhouse's view. Now, Robbie Waterhouse and Bill Waterhouse would say and have said he just doesn't like us. He's trying to get money out of the family trust yeah. and so he's trying to – this is where I say it's smoke and mirrors. Yeah. to the very so You can choose someone you think it might be but you have no no right. evidence, right? I've, we're not claiming it was any of these people because like – stinky I, onion. Everything I'm saying is on the public record. Yes. Waterhouse has been in trouble since. He almost got banned again in 2002. For, for what for? They found that he was guilty of 16 charges related to bets he recorded. He didn't – into them properly and various things and right. stuff. He got banned for the whole time and then it, he appealed a few times and it got put down to a nine-month suspension. George Brown, the trainer that was murdered horribly, his cold case was reopened in 2007 and in 2020, so this is where it all comes up yeah. to the current day, a $1 million reward offered. So if you're out there listening and you know the answer, there's $1 million for you. I'll be sitting there going, oh, I reckon I can get that. <laughs> the $1 million report reward was placed on the 35th anniversary of his death. In 2021, the Herald Sun newspaper said police were given a statement last year alleging that late bookmaker Bill Waterhouse had hired two Tongan nationals to reclaim a down deposit that was paid to the 38-year-old Brown the week before to fix a race, but they went too far and killed the trainer. Now, this eight-page statement that's been lodged with the police alleged that the king of Tonga returned these two nationals to Tonga. Now, the statement was made by Bill's youngest son, David Waterhouse. Mm. Now, this is where Jeez. all we're saying is David Waterhouse and the Herald Sun was saying was David Waterhouse has given this statement to police who are investigating the George Brown murder. We're not saying it's true, but that bit is true. That, it's in that that, that right. has happened. He made the statement in 2020 to homicide cold case detectives. Tonga's wrong royal family, and this is in where this is global. This has been reported in BBC News yes. and everywhere. They immediately denied any allegation that their late king was involved in covering up the murder of Australian horse trader George Brown. Bill Waterhouse was the consul general to Tonga from 1979-95. He drove a gold-coloured luxury sedan with consular number plates. <laughs> He'd known the king since university in 1940s. So there is a link between them, but that doesn't yeah. mean that any of this is true. Bill's Wardhouse's wife, Susan, denied the allegations against their late husband. So they deny that strongly, both the Tong and yep. the King and that. So they, she said, there is no truth to the stories with regard to my late husband nor with the regard to his late majesty and the people of Tonga. So David Waterhouse has said this but a Bill hasn't. In the end, I would say in wrapping this whole story My head's hurting. Story There's so up, many possibilities. I would say that at the moment the reality is as much as some people like to think that and I'm not saying anything that hasn't been said a thousand times, they say it's either mixed sales behind it 
Could George Freeman be doing a sting upon a sting? Yeah. Could have McSayer been behind it? Or take your pick. Or is it someone sitting out there who's cleverer than all of them and has kept their name out of the papers? And uh, yeah. We don't know. This is the mystery. We can guess, we can have our thoughts, we can wonder about it. But realistically, I know there's people out there who reckon that they do know but are waiting because we're getting to the generation where the people who are involved in this are all passing away. On the way out. So people, I think, will either, someone on their deathbed will either confess or give new evidence or people will be able to feel like they can come out with evidence they've got because the people are no longer around to sue them potentially or whatever. Yeah. We we don't know. So when some of these things you read that sort of claim it's one of these groups of people I've mentioned or mm. people I haven't mentioned because I don't know who they are but people they say oh, it might be yeah. some, you know, shadowy figures, I don't think anyone in the general public really knows, including us. So it's all just everything I've said is just stuff that's on the public record. It's not yes. my own views. And, of course, just to be very clear, the Waterhouse family deny it. Mick Sayers, despite being dead, his family very much deny it. Yes. So the thing is it's a mystery that has not been solved to this day. It's but incredible. I think in our lifetime. Do you think it will? We'll get there. I think we'll get there. I think people are waiting for certain people to no longer be around and then there will be more to come. We've often opined the why hasn't this been turned into a – Film, a film, a bit which you'd think it's just got all the elements, but it's so complex. There's too many characters yes. and there's too many possibilities. There's different governments involved. There's different states involved. There's different levels of police, underworld crime, colourful racing yeah. identities. It's just a freewheeling. And also everyone making the accusations when you look at them all, I was when I was doing this, you know, you kind of in your head do the natural thing of who your favourite might be for who's behind all this. Yeah. But then I can very credibly make an argument of why it wasn't Bill and Robbie Waterhouse, why it wasn't Mick Sayers, why it wasn't... I could even make an argument that there was no Mr Big, Gillespie had the money because of his scams and mm. was making out that there was something bigger behind it just to big note himself. Like you can... And everyone that's saying anything, you kind of have to doubt a little bit as well because they're all either con men criminals or they've been found guilty of perjury before or they're it's very hard to know and then the people i think who do know don't have the evidence as well that's the real key bit because i think if someone like you know the sheriff you know the head of the stewards i'm sure he has a very strong view of who he yeah. thinks did it i'm sure that journalists have very strong but no one has able to go, here's the smoking gun that puts one of these various people in the frame, but they haven't been able to produce a thing that says this proves we weren't in the frame either. So it is, when I say it's a mystery, it is an absolute mystery to this day. The opening scene of the film is a bright red horse in the front (laughs) yard of a leafy garden (laughs) and that's the first image you see. Pan out to reveal a bunch of drunk guys <laughs> standing around <laughs> trying to work out what the hell to do with it. Exactly. Unbelievable. I thought I knew that story. I didn't. I only know the headlines as everyone does. That should placate a lot of our listeners who have been asking for this story. Consider it delivered. I think you know more than you're telling. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Thomas O'Reilly, thank you again. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode. We've got plenty more to come, but if you want more, 
you can become a Bizarre Plus member. It's our membership program where you get a weekly bonus podcast. You get access to all the past episodes. You also get a behind-the-scenes newsletter every fortnight. You get access to our members-only chat room. And the thing I like is if we're doing live shows and coming to your town, you get access to tickets before anyone else. If you're interested, the link is in the show notes.